Do you really know what the doctor, your mom or dad's aide, or others are really telling you? Could their eyes, facial dimension, and expressions be telling you something totally different than the words coming out of their mouth? And did you know that you can manage your own expressions to let them know that you're in charge and that you won't take no for an answer? You might be surprised. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your MO. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for, and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hey everybody, it's Nancy May from Elder Care Success and... I've got a really, I mean, all my guests are special, but this one is really intrigues me to no ends. If you've ever seen the show, at least here in the United States, that was a number of years back called Lie to Me. It was all about this investigator that read faces. And so the police and the FBI and all the, I'll call them the Snoopomobile guys, (laughs) were out there actually reading the faces through this one guy to determine whether the the bad guys are really bad or not. Joseph McGuire is an expert in this field of observation, facial observation and profiling, both personality, behavior style, communication pat- patterns, stress triggers, which is a big one, and all sorts of other responsibilities as it relates to or responses as it relates to reading people's faces and reactions. He understands how this all fits together and actually how to use it to help us ask questions, which is as a caregiver, quite frankly, that's one of our bigger roles. I and mean, yeah, we're taking care of people, but asking the right questions to the right people at the right time is critical. So I'm going to go on with a couple of other things that fascinate me about Joseph, who is coming to us from Dublin, Ireland, which I've never been to, but I'd love to get there one day. He's also the author of Face Facts, The Art of Reading Your Clients and Prospects for Sales and Negotiation and Recruitment, which is kind of what we're doing in many cases, whether we realize it or not in caregiving. He understands and presents on the ancient Chinese tradition of face reading and body language, Ooh, that's a big one. And incorporates FBI negotiation and interrogation techniques and all the things that he does, including how to manage relationships among families and loved ones. I like my head's exploding right now, Joseph. So let's jump jump into it and welcome. I'm I'm so thrilled that you're here and joining us. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Nancy. It's absolutely my pleasure. And after a build up like that, I think my head is exploding as well. <laughs> Well, let it explode after we're done because we need you right now. So let's get into really understanding what is face reading. Like I said, you know, the Lie to Me show tells us a little bit about it. But my sense is there's a little bit more than what Hollywood gives us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the first series of Lie to Me was based on work done by research psychologist Paul Ekman and his colleague Wallace Friesen over many, many years in many cultures. This was a real guy at one point. This is not just TV shows. Oh, well, it's a TV show. It was based on his research, but he bailed, Ekman bailed after one season because he said this isn't real life. It wasn't representing what really happens. So the idea of instantly looking at somebody or peering intently as, you know, as the character Cal Lightman would do, that doesn't really happen. Yeah, we don't have balloon bubbles over our head that says, you know, this guy's a creep. Well, unfortunately not. But the, but the thing is, we all, 
the thing is we were communicating with body language and reading body language and all of that before we had language, before we had words. And just unfortunately, many of us have forgotten it. And one of the things I talk about when I'm presenting to people is I talk about the three brains because neuroscience has proven conclusively that we have three brains. One is in the gut, one is in the heart, and one is in the head. One in the head is the one we're familiar with, the one we think about and we think from and act from in many cases, and we shut down the other two. And the reality is, in measure, there's something like 400 times more messages going from the gut and from the heart up to the head than vice versa. So we need to have all of those three. You said 400? 400. 400 times. Is that daily or at at, at any any given time? time? At any given time, yeah. Yeah. So we need to be, we need to pay attention to what our gut is telling us, what our heart is telling us. So when we're meeting somebody in whatever context, it's not just what we're seeing. It's not just what we're hearing in terms of what they're saying. It's what are we feeling? Even in terms of the words people use, it's how are they speaking? Because the tone of voice, the rhythm of voice will often tell you far more than the words themselves. And then, of course, I'm adding a lot of the visuals as well. So it's really tuning in and tapping into that. And as you're discussing this, one of the things, especially as being myself personally female, there's the term female intuition Mm -hmm. or woman's intuition and tapping into it. And it's real easy to ignore that because we're so trained into what's happening around us from a technical perspective. And we're being bombarded visually by so much that the visual and the auditory white noise gets in the way of understanding. And I'm going to share a little example. There are two stories. So we're looking to to build a house and looking at builders and interviewing builders. We've been through a number of them, talking to them. It just just don't feel right, which is kind of interesting. It's not just the language, but it's how how their body language is, is behaving and how they're treating us from a verbal perspective, which I've just been a little bit more aware of it. And then today... I called our vet because my dog's been off for a couple of days and I saw how other animals had behaved when the older one, which this one is, is sick. So the vet was like, so what's really wrong with it? Well, you know, I can't put my finger on it exactly. I can't go on a linear chart, but there's something that's off. So I trusted my gut today and I'm trusting a gut in building a house. That has nothing to do with caregiving. But on the dog, it kind of does, right? It's all related because once you start to really trust your gut, I always say trust your gut and then look for the evidence. But if your gut tells you that something is off about a person, a place, what have you, then make sure you don't invest yourself emotionally. You treat it as a clinical... Try and deal with the facts with as the opposed facts. to deal. getting yeah. pissed off, as they yeah, say, right? absolutely. Just hold, pull back on your emotions and check, okay, what's actually going on here? Why am I here? What do I need? Do I need to be here? Do I need to really right. deal with this person and engage with this person? Or are there other choices, maybe better choices? If the feeling is that for some reason, this person doesn't resonate with me, and I'll deliberately use that word resonate, everything appears glossy on the surface. Mm-hmm. If you have that strong, good feeling that something is wrong, pay attention. Is the opposite? So if we can just add one other thing. Go ahead. Even when you're dealing with serious professional people, doctors, lawyers, whoever, be prepared to, as we say, make haste slowly. Slow the process down. 
particularly if you're paying for a service. They're going to hate that. Absolutely. Because there's a certain amount of posturing that comes with professional services. But we're talking a little bit about that sense of something's not wrong. But it's just as easy as as I understand to also fall quickly in in love with somebody Mm. who has (laughs) this charismatic personality and you immediately feel like they're your friend. You just like, oh my God, I just love them. They're personally, they're, they're interesting. They're creative. There's this charismatic quality that they say about somebody, right? Oh, absolutely. It sort of just sucks you in, which can be good if it's a good person, but it also can be a little like, if they're not good. So how do you, how do you think through that wall of, oh my God, you know, like Bill Clinton had it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely, in spades, yeah. It's probably the biggest example out there right now. Yeah, yeah, he's a classic example of it. Um, And obviously, we know there were other sides to Bill Clinton that weren't entirely wonderful, shall we say. And other precedents, right? and many other, many. And and, and not just in the U.S., across the globe, absolutely. And power is regarded as an aphrodisiac. On both sides, right? So how do we be even more aware of, we'll understand feeling the sensitivity of something's not right, but not being able to, to look through that charismatic, I love you instantly, love at first sight uh-huh. scenario, right? And I'm not talking about love, love from a, a personal oh, yes. yeah. perspective, but I'm talking about from a professional perspective where you love the doctor, you love, put love in quotes, uh-huh. the aid that comes in that immediately builds trust and you think they're going to be perfect and then they find out later on that they're not, but you didn't yeah. see it beforehand. So how do you break through that? Okay. I'll call it the, the charismatic love stories. Yeah, I've had a number of friends in the, in the last number of years who've had relationships with classic narcissists where they were, mm-hmm. and the relationships invariably started when these people were in a vulnerable place and the narcissists had like laser-like focus. They spotted, this person is vulnerable, this person can be useful to me, and sociopaths, psychopaths are the same. They have the, they have like a radar-like capacity to zero in, and not everybody... Have- I'm going to stop you right there. Sure. Can you explain the difference between a sociopath, a narcissist, and a psychopath? Okay, um, probably 10 very subtle technical differences. Narcissists are very much about themselves. They build up an image of themselves. But generally speaking, from what I've what I've observed and what I've read and studied, there tends to be a bit like a souffle. There's not a lot of substance mm-hmm. underneath. So they will do anything to deflect any potential criticism and will always be blaming the other person. Whatever is going wrong, ah, okay. they'll always be blaming and putting the blame somewhere else because they have a very, there's a, there's a very massive feelings of insecurity within them massive feelings of insecurity and we've all met people like that we have absolutely when you see that when somebody else is continually blaming somebody else they're never at fault they're never responsible for whatever has or hasn't happened teflon yeah absolutely you know there's something that they're they're missing something deep inside that's the narcissist the sociopath my understanding of the difference between sociopaths and psychopaths is sociopaths will use you they're there for themselves they lack a certain degree of empathy, but they, they they can use communication skills and presentation skills to connect with other people and to draw people into their ambit, to draw people into their circus. Cir- circle, circle, circus is probably a good word as well. But they won't necessarily be there to harm you. They will look to use you, but they won't necessarily harm you. Where a psychopath will invariably so the used car salesman, right? You know, can be <laughs> maybe that example, but can be absolutely. But a psychopath will certainly be there to harm you, 
as well as as well as use you. Wow. Okay. So they want to take your money or or harm mom or dad or do something just to leave you destitute. That's probably the extreme scenario, right? Yeah, it's almost like a reflex, an automatic reflex with a psychopath. They have to do harm. Those are three people at least to be aware of three types. And of course, they're the good people in between there. It's not everybody's bad. Thankfully. One of the things that we all typically end up doing with dealing with at some point in time is hiring an aide, whether it be an aide independently or through an agency. And even if we're hiring an agency to help us find aides, we're still dealing with the individual aides to come in to help mom or dad, whether it be at home or even in a care facility. And sometimes those individuals are not people that we've met beforehand which makes it even more dangerous. Dangerous is probably the wrong word because there are great people out there that serve and really want to help elderly and, and older people. But it's it's exhausting. And sometimes the breakdown happens. And I think there's probably a little bit of nefarious in all of us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We're complex yes. creatures. When we're put under pressure, you know, we crack. So is there a way to sort of identify at least, let's say, from an aid perspective, where there's a more personal relationship going on? Yeah, I'd say that I, I don't know if there's a definitive method because we're all, because we are all different, but there are certain things I would, I would mm-hmm. advise. Uh, I'm reminded of the, the, the Benjamin Franklin advice, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Uh-huh. Why you're hiring, know what you're hiring for, what exactly you want in the person, because sometimes we don't think clearly enough in advance. What exactly are the requirements here? Write them down. Oh, gosh, absolutely write them down. And then when it comes to meeting the person, some people like to do interviews in, in a cafe, you know, coffee shop, right. restaurant. Now, mayor, if that's appropriate, pay attention to what they order. Pay attention to how they treat the server. Oh, that's a good one. That's very revealing. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of a lot of high-end interviews happen in situations like that, but you can do it in a, you can do it in a more social way setting as well where, where you're not you know, why is what they order important it'll tell you it'll tell you a lot about their taste it'll t- and i don't mean just what what they like to eat but the quality of food they like to eat how they eat will tell you about how they deal with other things because of bad manners, bad manners they are order the most expensive thing on the menu the and you're picking it up. they eat in a very sloppy way they leave a mess on the plate that's going to tell you a lot about how they deal with other people Oh, I'm part of the clean plate club. Me so. too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paying for it. I mean, you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But little things like that will tell you if you're meeting them. If you're meeting them in a different kind of setting where there's no food and all of that, give yourself a little bit of time to settle. Give yourself, even if it's five minutes, ten minutes. There's a very useful talk on on TED.com by Amy Cuddy where she talks about high power poses and low power poses, and. Oh, I've seen that one. A, Excellent. I highly recommend that. And to learn to learn the high power poses, because when you practice a high power pose, even for a couple of minutes on a regular basis, it places you in a greater state of confidence and clarity. And if you present yourself with confidence, automatically the other person is going to pick up on that, and they're going to be less inclined to want to, to shall we say, mess you around. But then once you're in that place, when you meet them. For me, there's, going back to the idea of the three brains, practice that any, mm-hmm. Practice that through daily being anyway, no matter what it is you're doing. Just learn to pay attention to your gut and your heart, etc. But then when it comes to the visuals, ask yourself, look at the person's eyes and ask yourself, what message are the eyes giving me? And the eyes are basically going to give you one of three messages. The eyes are going to be either warm, and if the eyes are warm, then 
they're likely to be more more friendly, amenable, sociable. And what does that look like? It feels. That's the whole thing. It's a feeling more than a look. If you look at eyes that are cold, I'll give you an example there. The actor Scott Glenn was once described as the guy with the coldest eyes in Hollywood. Mm. So if you look at if you look at images of Scott Glenn, and I, I don't know the man, I've never met him. I actually admire him as an actor. But if you look at his eyes, his eyes are cold. If you want to look at in a darker place, if you look at like some of the serial killers, oh yeah, yeah, and you'll you'll find you'll find photos, and you look at their eyes, and there's a deadness. It's like a dead fish. I think it's on a Sam That's, stories, and then when they caught this guy. How he, yeah. I mean, it was just a, a, it was almost a blank look on the fellow's face. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Nothing, absolutely. No, nothing yeah. was there. Yeah. It's like there's just, like dead fish is the, probably the best way to describe it. Right. So if you get that message from somebody's eyes, you need to be on alert. If you're thinking of hiring somebody as a carer and somebody has dead eyes, cold eyes, they're not the best person. They're not the best person for it. Yeah, oh, gosh. You'll probably feel a chill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So warmth, the cold eyes. Is there another? There's a neutral where may where it's a maybe. So then you really need to do a bit of forensic digging in terms of how not just what answers did they give you to your questions, but how they answer it. Things like, for example, the tone of voice. Mm-hmm. Is there warmth? Is there obvious expression in the voice when they talk about people they have cared for before? How do they describe the experience? Because you need to know about the experiences they've had before. You you can check their references, but you need to know from them what was the personal experience of caring for people and not just one person. Ask them about a few different situations, whether, you know, male, female, maybe some different ages or different, slightly different ages, different conditions, different settings. Be prepared to ask questions. It's interesting you mentioned that there was one hire that we made that we were looking for somebody. We needed an extra person. And there was it was definitely a mistake. I knew it. My lead aide, who sort of did the training, knew immediately. And fabulous resume, great references. But there was something that just said, mm, you know, it's going to be a little off. Let's give it a try. Yeah. And halfway through the day, just said, thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. And cold fish attitude. Oh, my God, was beyond belief. So we learned to to hire for attitude. And then as long as we felt that there was a competency or capability to learn that even if there's just a little bit of understanding, if there was a connection, willing to be kind, willing to learn, to keep a level of professionalism and desire to do their best, then we were, you know, we're in good, good shape. But it was, that was a, that was a hard learning lesson on that one individual, especially, which I consider to be my, you know, my biggest failure at that point. And, you know, taking care of mom and dad, you have ups and downs. There is no perfect scenario. So. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about aids and agencies, kind of the same thing. Now, identifying a care facility is a whole nother story because they have professional marketers that are out there with the glitz and the glamour and presenting a facility as going into the Ritz type of thing. You have great food, lovely hotel, lovely hotel. It's not a hotel, but lovely apartments. Mom and dad can make it look like theirs. Here's where they're going to be having social life and what's going on. But in reality, a lot of people don't use those social engagements because they sit in their apartments and, oh, and cleaning. The other cleaning is like, you know, cleaning, we do light house cleaning. Light house cleaning means they come through with a Swiffer and that's about it. And you need a lot more in those, but that's facilities. And then, and then when you do this conversation, you're walking down a hall with a marketing person and you're not engaged with the actual facility people. So, So how do you... 
Do you just tune in and say, okay, I don't want to be a rube, right? Know that I'm being sold and work around it? There's probably several variations to the answer there, but I would say sometimes it's actually okay to be rude. Okay. Sometimes it's appropriate to be rude. I'd probably count Rude probably, versus being mean. They're two different stories, right? Yeah. Okay. I would probably, maybe, maybe cheeky okay. is probably is possibly a better word. I'd be willing to ask direct questions and challenging questions with a smile. And a smile goes a long way. Oh, it sure does. Because it opens up the face and everything. It really does. Eyes look warm yeah. and you can be, yeah. you can be this, I hate to say the deceptor when it comes to a salesperson. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can appear, you can appear stupid or you can appear very confident. You can appear very cheerful, chummy and I've used both. smile. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no, no reason why not, why, why we shouldn't vary our behavior according to circumstances, as long as our values are clear. Right. But also then going into a, into a care home, is there an opportunity to meet some of the residents? At different times of day, right? To go in yeah. at different yeah, times yeah. and days yeah. and see how they're yeah. behaving they, and what's going on. And yeah. talk to the person who's sitting in the corner by themselves that may look a little lonely. Mm-hmm. And, and you can find any number of reasons to go and do that where you're not being, oh, just I'd just like to have a chat with this lady, this man. This, he looks a little lonely, so I'll just maybe support him for 10 minutes or whatever it may be. Find a ruse, find an excuse, find a reason to go and talk to to that person. That's a great tip. Oh, my God. I wish I had known that before. Because, you know, I've gone into facilities in the past, even where mom and dad were. And see, there's always there's always a couple of people that are off doing something by themselves and not engaging. And you want to know why, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And even if you put it, you know, even if you posit it as, oh, the man, that gentleman looks lonely. I'd just like to spread a little warmth for five, ten minutes or whatever it might be. One of the underlying things here is that most people I've learned over the years have some degree of insecurity, mm-hmm. and very many people are deeply insecure, lacking in confidence. So one of the key things that we need to do is to develop confidence in whatever way we can through our daily life before we have to make these decisions. And the more genuinely confident we are, the more that communicates itself, and the less inclined people are to try to fob us off or say, oh, we don't do that here or whatever it may be. You show up as a certain level of authority that they they will trust. Yeah, yeah. Is there a way, like a couple of tips that you can say how to develop confidence a little better? Because, and the reason why I'm asking is it's not that we don't have confidence. We all have a certain level of degree of confidence typically. Mm-hmm. But when you're under those daily stress situations and constantly being yeah. counted, whether it's by a sibling or a mom or dad or a doctor, and there's one more thing you have to do and that level of pressure really does get on you. And oh, yeah. even the most confident person in the world will feel small. That's the only way to describe it. You feel physically small sometimes at days when it's just exhausting to do so. And you're running a business or you're going to work and you're thinking, mm-hmm. oh my God, or my spouse isn't helping me or the dog didn't yeah. even greet me at the door when I came home that night. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Any tips to sort of oh, just yeah, blast, sort of blast through that? Yeah, there's what opportunities am I taking to not do? What opportunities do I have to not do, to just rest? That may be five minutes here, 10 minutes there. Just peace and quiet and avoid the the nonsense and tell everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even if that's absolutely just unavailable for whatever reason, you switch off your phone, whatever, you sit down, you have a cup of tea, cup of coffee, you listen to a piece of music, whatever it is. that, And you don't need permission to do so. You just say, guys, you know, gals, this is it. I need five minutes back off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that partly comes down to the confidence thing again. You just make a clear 
confident statement. This is what's happening. It's five minutes, it's 10 minutes, it's whatever it is. But you just make it, it's a statement of fact. This is what's happening. No apologies, no excuses. So that's one tip. I think posture helps a whole lot, right? Posture helps a whole lot, absolutely. Yeah, how we stand, how how we present ourselves, even when we we sit. I'm sitting up more properly here during our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All of that communicates itself because, again, it goes back to the fact that we were communicating with all of these things before we had language. And we pick up on things like posture. And then if, if we go back to the issue of, it's slightly jumping off the topic, but if we go to back to the issue of dealing with mm-hmm. lawyers, doctors, or hiring people, how we dress as well sends out a message. And it makes you feel better when you dress well, though I'm sitting here doing this in a t-shirt and sweater <laughs> and recording. Like, <laughs> good thing you can't see me, but they're bright same, colors. They make me feel good today. So that's really great advice. And and hearing that is extremely helpful because I think it just helps our psyche as well from day to day. And now the next group of individuals that we deal with typically are doctors in the medical profession. As a society or as a human race, we are generally conditioned to look at anybody in the medical profession or any profession typically, but we're talking about doctors or it could be lawyers, could be accountants, but in that case, doctors as people that you put up on pedestals and they are vulnerable, but they are the people of authority. And what's the old story? It's like, what do they call the the guy or the gal who graduates at the bottom of the list at Harvard from medical school? Doctor. (laughs) It doesn't matter whether you got an A or a D, you're still a doctor. Absolutely. And so understanding that from the get-go and knowing when to push is, is tough. And especially when the medical profession or doctors are not trained themselves on how to deliver bad news. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we are dealing with a time in life where not every visit to a doctor is going to come out with, you're fine, call me in a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How do we look through that veil? That Because I think this is probably the toughest. Doctors learn how to put the blank stare on. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the, Cracking the code. Doctors have been, I mean, the, there has been a reference to the church of modern medicine. You said the pedestal, and it's it's almost like seeing the doctors as priests, right. whether they're wearing the white coats or not. We've been taught to elevate them to that kind of level. But we have to recognize they are providing a service, a service that is that they're being paid well for, whether it's us paying them directly, whether it's the insurance company paying them. They're being paid for a service. And not to put too fine a point on it, they are tradespeople. Okay. That's their trade. That's their trade. It may be a very highly skilled trade, but it's a trade. So we have to understand that we are the customer. Yeah. Our parents are the customer. We are the customer. Yeah. We are the customer advocate. And yeah. to, I hate to say this word, but I'm going to anyway, demand quality service. It, let them understand that they are a service provider. We are the customer it's a team effort to do well and yeah. deliver the final product, which is good health, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's to, it's to be willing to state it from the outset with them. Like some people don't want the bad news. Some people prefer not to have all the information. But if you do, I would recommend saying it from the beginning that we want to be fully, we request, we expect to be fully informed about all developments or all any changes in medication, any changes in treatment, any changes in condition, we expect to be fully informed. And why? Ask why. Yeah. So 
it's funny that you say this. I was having some some issues with my knees, and I expected at some point in time I'd need a knee replacement. I'm kind of getting to that point after a bad car accident a number of years back. Like the things got squished in my knees, and the doctor said, "Well, we had the X-rays, and do you want to look at them? And we can talk about them." I said, "Yeah, of course I want to look at them." I'd already seen them in the X-ray room, and I was like, oh, "Okay, I am like SOL on this one for sure." <laughs> As he's telling me everything, he said, look, at you know, I want to know the details, but I got to tell you, if you go into too much detail, just know I'm probably going to pass out. I will not do it. If you're talking about somebody else, you're talking about me. Like I am like on the floor, but keep talking. Don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And sure enough, he got me a cold compress. Yeah. <laughs> But we kept talking and that was the thing. So I, you know, to be informed and I asked a lot of questions, which is, this is personal care. But, you know, I was fortunate in this case, there was a doctor who was in and is willing to have those conversations and know how to deliver the information in as a dialogue. But again, like not all doctors are doing that. Mm-hmm. So even if you're given 20 minutes, lock the door and don't let them yeah. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, it's to emphasize the fact in the conversation with the doctor is to emphasize you and I, you and we, if it's family members, plural, we're all part of the team here. We all want the best for our mother, father, whoever it may be. You know, I think another really tip I'm going to add here, and you may or may not agree with me, is typically when you're dealing with a medical profession or any profession, they will sit at a higher okay. level than you. My recommendation to anybody has always been meet them at the eye. Uh-huh. If you can sit up or stand up or ask them to sit down so that you're at eye level. And I remember with a doctor who was, um, who we fired, patients can fire yes. doctors, right? With my dad, this doctor was just totally incompetent. We got we got rid of him. But the doctor had told my father not to sit on the, the patient table because that was the doctor's table. Oh. And the doctor is like, oh, no, 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 no. So my dad sat where he was supposed to. And I sat on the patient table. And the doctor sat where his eyes were at my knee level. Uh (laughs) He knew who was in charge in that particular case. And he was, I wouldn't say scared, but I think he was very uncomfortable Uh in my direct response because dad was like no hearing aids and like not going to, it wasn't an issue. The issue was getting the proper care and service, which was not there. But it was very interesting to see how uncomfortable that doctor was. And he, he should have been quaking in his boots. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we can, we can adjust our position, our posture accordingly. Yeah. I guess it's, it's a watch. It's, I mean, I'm just trying to think aside from programs like Lie to Me, I'm sure there are other, I don't actually have a TV and haven't had for a long time, but I'm sure there are programs that can give us ideas in terms of things we can do to change our body language and change that change the dynamic of the of the exchange and one of one other thing i would recommend if, if people are into reading i would highly recommend getting a book called never split the difference oh i've read that one that's excellent yeah. yes because it's by a guy called chris boss who was the leading fbi hostage negotiator for many years his, his company now is called black swan limited there are so many practical tips in there about how to negotiate in life that I just keep going back to the book. There's always more to learn. I highly, highly recommend that because there are so many things in there that would take and use in engagements with professionals like lawyers, doctors, etc. I'll put all these in the show notes. Those, those are excellent. And if you're listening, which, well, if you're here, <laughs> you're listening. I find it fascinating to be able to take all those different aspects. We're talking about business things, but they impact the business of caring for your parents, yeah. which is really what it, it comes down to and understanding all these tools. 
I'm going to make one more question before we wrap up, but the other big one is family. We live with family growing up and things change and dynamics change, but being able to read family, I mean, we're the same DNA. So that can be sometimes a little bit more sticky or hairy when you're Uh looking at a sibling and saying, well, we're only a year or two apart or even three years apart or, or more. And I know your tricks growing up and what you look like and what you did to me and I, what I did to you and what you did to my brother, the whole, the, the, the sibling rivalry and oh, yeah. and the sibling joy that happened too, right? It's mm-hmm. not all oh, yeah. bad, but when we get into this point, we're adults now. It's a little different. Do we change from being kids to adults and those dynamics or no? Some cases, yes, but some people revert right back to what happened when they were three, four, five years Mommy, old. Mommy, Susie. A lot of people got partic- <laughs> yeah, particularly when it's, it's a heightened, the situation is emotionally heightened. Things are fraught. Many people will revert right back to what happened. You did this to me or you said that when I was three or four or five, because a lot of these things are held in and fester. Even from the older perspective, you know, being the oldest child, who was put in charge, who was put in control, Mm -hmm. how did the younger ones behave? Oh, yes. And those, I didn't even, wow. Yeah. That's kind of brought some really interesting thoughts to the fore for what I've seen other families go through, including my own. Absolutely, yeah. So one tip I would give there, and again, it, it does mean presenting ourselves with confidence, but when things do become fraught, as far as possible, pause. don't react, pause and listen and hear the other person out. Even if it's upsetting, insulting, what have you, when they've finished, say, okay, if I heard you right, this is what you said. Like this is a tip in the, in the Chris Voss book. But if, you, if, if I heard you right, if this is what I understand and you're upset about. Acknowledge. Yeah. Have I got that right? Because it's a, one of the most basic human needs to feel we have been heard, we have been listened to. If we can do that, it so often diffuses the emotion and then we can get back to having a reasonable conversation about what actually matters at the time. And the dynamics between siblings, whether they be blood siblings or step siblings, right? There's mm-hmm. always there's always a leader at some point. We're not all even. It's interesting to yep. see how that falls back into place very quickly too. And that I'll call them the leader yeah. really is it can be a burden really, especially at this point of time. And to stop and take a breath yourself when you're in that position and like you said, just Try and understand where everybody else is coming from. And it, it's hard to not take it personally when you feel that you're responsible, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if there are a group of siblings, step step siblings, can you have time, one-on-one time with people? Because when, it, when the group comes together, if one person sparks something, it often creates a whole, a whole tumult of, of noise. Bombshell. Yeah, absolutely. If you can... And it's not always possible, but if you can have one-on-one time with people to just check where they're at and and listen. Check in with each one so you understand it and then have the discussion afterwards. This has been great, Joseph. I just think this is an amazing discussion. I wish we could go on forever. But before we stop, there there are three tips that you think that would help people like immediately from the get-go to say, do one, two, or three, and then build on that. A smile goes a long way. I've touched on that. If you can communicate with a smile, it tends to soften people around you. It even helps you, right? Yeah, of course it does. You feel better. You're more relaxed. Your blood pressure goes down and you tend to be able to think more clearly. So if you practice smiling anyway, and then you can meet people with a smile, it tends to just soften something in them and they feel, yeah, I can engage with this person. So smile is number one. Smile is number one. Listening. 
develop your ability to listen, your willingness and your ability to listen. And it's not just for what people say, it's how they say it. So tone of voice, rhythm of voice, pitch. And when you've aligned your, the three brains, is what they're saying and how they're saying it aligning with what their body is telling me? Okay. That's auditory and visual right there. Yeah. Absolutely. And sensing. That's two. And the third one is? And then the other, I guess it's a visual thing. And this applies whether it's where you're looking at a man or a woman. Again, it's just pay attention to the eyes. Pay attention to the eyes. And what message are the eyes giving me? What do I feel from the eyes? Not so much what I see, but what do I feel from the eyes? Warmth or cold? So they say the eyes are the windows into the soul, Oh, right? the eyes are so revealing. Don't forget that yeah, one. The eyes are so revealing. And even when people were wearing masks all the time, like when I would look in the eyes, the eyes just told me anything I needed to know. Their physical health, their mental mm-hmm. health, and their response to questions, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And both eyes sometimes give different messages. But we won't we won't go into that for this conversation. No, we can. We'll have to do that another time. Like, are they looking at you? Are they drifting off to the well, left or the just, right? No, not just. Things. Oh my gosh, we we could do we could do another two hours, three hours, we another week on this. But <laughs> since we're limited to a show, we'll stop here. And I really want to say, Joseph, you have been just a delight to talk to, and really got my day off started to a good one. So thank you from that, from Dublin, Ireland to Tampa, Florida. Caregiving is is a worldwide phenomenon. It's it's a human phenomenon. It's not it just worldwide. It's it happened yeah. over the generations from caveman till mm-hmm. whenever that day comes that hopefully we don't blow up the world. And <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed, indeed. We'll be taking care of the world. We should be doing yes. that too, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. But take care of ourselves first. Thank you again, everybody. The notes and the details on the books and Joseph's background will be in the show notes, including his book. If you'd like to get a copy of that, please, if you are listening to the show, give it a a thumbs up, uh, save it, subscribe to it and share it with others because caregiving and taking care of those that we love and even ourselves is not just an individual's job. It is a job for everybody to do together. And it's not really a job. I think it's a calling where we, if we want the world to be better, we need to take care of ourselves and everybody else around us. So on that note, it, have a great day. And thank you once again, Joseph. Oh, thank it's you. been That's, a delight. Thank you for the little dose of Florida sunshine you brought into my day. I hope to see you in green Dublin, Ireland one day. Thanks again. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021 Caremanity LLC.